Alright, and discuss your truth. Coming at you every Wednesday. This is a special edition, which is becoming more of a norm in that we are doing double headers. Okay, so for three years, uh, I delivered a weekly program for you at 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard. It entailed a 60-minute kind of version of my thoughts and bringing on a most times a highly qualified and intellectual guest okay i.e. a guy that I like to talk about a lot Ray McGovern spent almost three decades in the CIA uh, John Kuriaku another guy that blew the whistle on Bush and the torture at Guantanamo. He's joined the program twice. Mark Shaw, defense attorney out of uh, San Francisco. He's worked on cases for Bryant, Kobe, that is, uh, Tyson, Mike, that is, and O.J. Simpson. Uh, I don't know what his involvement was, but he's been a legal analyst on ABC, uh, ESPN, and other networks. Um, Cynthia McKinney, six-term former uh, Georgia uh, congresswoman. Uh, Paul Hellyer, former Canadian, uh, very high-ranking, achieved at one point in his career essentially deputy prime minister for that country. All right, so we've had some incredible guests to join the program, and the first hour today we were joined by Bill Blunden. I urge you to please catch that episode if you haven't already. Go to anchor.fm. You can find it right there. Go to iTunes, subscribe to me, Ian Trache, Discussions of Truth. Go to the website, introttier.com, stopmassmedia.com. There's a number of platforms where I'm found. And typically, all of my past shows are found linked somehow to that site. Okay? Uh, now, we've got an issue going on here. If you haven't realized, perhaps you seriously feel like coronavirus is a threat, okay? I questioned that only because I lived through the Zika scare in Miami and my research showed that the pesticide being used to kill the Zika virus was far more harmful than was the virus itself. In fact, the Zika virus relatively benign, according to my research, which was presented from my contact with individuals out of the New England Journal of Medicine and also Lancet. Okay, so just approach the coronavirus pandemic, if you will, with a somewhat inquisitive eye. Okay, I'm not here to say that it's not dangerous. I'm not here to say that it won't kill you. Well, I'm not here to say that it won't kill your grandmother or grandfather. I'm not here to say that it's not a threat. It's likely a very legitimate virus, just like the Zika virus was, okay? But how harmful is it to damaging severely your immune system and possibly causing death? You need to look into it, is all I recommend you do, okay? And look at it from a broader spectrum of mass surveillance was the topic that Bill addressed with us on the program just last hour. Is there an attempt in a new world order, a global surveillance of all human beings 
that walk the planet that are connected by the internet is there an overall deeper theme here outside of the coronavirus that attempts to lock you down and lock down some of the rights perhaps as an american or a canadian or a australian or some of the rights that a democratic type society lends its inhabitants to is there an over or underlying theme to take those away do you care if that's the case italy's on complete lockdown right now is it coming to your country again do you care if you care what are you gonna do about it is there anything you can do about it well what you can do most likely at least in the u.s is talk about it so that's what i decided to do bringing on jp lindstroth here for this shower now if you're not familiar with some of jp's work he's a former fulbright scholar to brazil and uh he has got a oxford he's got a phd from from oxford okay so he's a pretty smart guy and um today we're going to address with him the age of resistance in a post 9 11 world now again before we bring him on if you're an american and you sincerely realize some of the values that you have as being an american which are different from living in a country like china or russia okay where you're controlled on many levels in fact as bill just said if you turn off your cell phone a red flag goes off for the government saying hey this guy's cell phone's been turned off is there an attempt to microchip the world population so you are completely locked in to their panopticon which is a 360 surveillance of everything you do with your life throughout the 24 hours of the day is there an attempt to do that really with the wealthy economical elite on this planet they could care less about you you are cattle to them and all you do is make money for them okay and that's seriously what they think of you you think the queen of england for instance cares about you no she cares about her palaces she cares about her commonwealth and she wants to make sure that those worker bees are feeding her hive and keeping her safe yes there are elite that walk this planet that control every aspect of your life i'm not saying that that is a new world order or the world order that those elites even agree with each other on their industries what happens at bilderberg meetings right what happens at some of these exclusive economical summits that i certainly am not invited to okay i'm not an elite i have no idea what it's like to own a fifth of the land mass of the planet that the queen does and by all means I'm not saying i'm not a queen a fan of the queen i i'm, I'm an american Okay, and I do believe the United States had a war with her country, or at least the country she represents, because that takes it to another level. Does she report to someone? 
Oh, yes, she does. See, she is subjugated to the bank that rules over her empire. And her empire does still exist. It may not produce as much money as the American empire does, but wait a second, Ian. The American empire is in a $26 trillion debt. Okay. Let's go to JP now. And we're going to phone him in. And we're going to discuss the age of resistance in a post-9-11 world. That's something he wrote, I think, back in 2005. Here we go. J.P. Lindstra. Might be standing by on Skype. Because that's how we tried to thread him in last time. JP. Hello? JP. Ian, hi. Nice to connect with you, sir. Great to connect with you as well. Welcome to Discussions of Truth. I believe you've been on the program before. Yeah, thanks for having me back. It's always a pleasure to be on your programs. Wonderful to be back. Thanks, JP. Now, for listeners who didn't catch JP last time, which is likely, we had a technical glitch, and for those uh, wanting to listen in a podcast flam or uh, platform that is a rebroadcast uh, recording of the show. Uh, JP's voice, unfortunately, and you brought this to my attention, JP. JP's voice was not recorded. Unfortunately, it was also the same day that Discussions of Truth hosted Dr. Bandy Lee. So, and Bandy Lee has written a very critical book on the mental health state of Donald Trump. She'll be rejoining the program April April 8th. But JP's been kind enough to rejoin us today. JP, how are you? Great. Great. I'm doing great. How are you? Well, I'm doing fantastic. We opened today's program. And, of course, this is a triple header today. Uh, the first hour, we were joined by Bill Blunden, who uh, lectures at San Francisco State. He talked about uh, what he referred to refers to as the malware industrial complex. And basically, he equates any Internet use, uh, which is the, the, the common Google, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, that being, and he drew on some Edward Snowden uh, a, a, a research and, 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 and whistleblowing in that what what we feed when when we feed the internet and we're so reliant on it uh, as we buy our iPhones and whatnot what we feed it is basically a panopticon now JP uh, a, a simple Google search and for listeners as well a, a simple Google search and I'm sure you're familiar with the term yields images of a Cuban prison which is a 360 kind of donut where the surveillance tower is at the center. So in the hole of the right. donut and all of the right. cells are opened to this surveillance tower. So everything that, that is watched. goes back way back to the 18th century, Ian. Yeah. And Michel Foucault, a French philosopher, was one of the people uh, who talks about the Penopticon in his book, Discipline and Punish. Excellent. 
Yeah, fantastic. So anyway, so 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 Bill Blunden equates internet use. We're kind of locked into it in a catch twenty two, and that it's a panopticon. Right. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, well, I mean, I mean, I don't know if I, I'm not an expert on the internet per yeah. se, but I mean, I mean, certainly we're surveilled pretty closely by the NSA, and I mean, that's pretty clear after Edward Snowden, right? I mean, even before it was clear, but I mean, it just was confirmed, I guess, with Snowden. Yeah, and, and and some interesting things, JP. You 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 may find interest in listening to that episode. If you didn't catch it, you want to answer, I'll send you sure. the. I would, yeah, yeah, I'll definitely catch it. Yeah, for sure. So what he he brings up some fairly alarming things that a nat or, or an average citizen in in China, for instance, uh, if they turn their phone off. It sends off a red flag that says, hey, this person's turned their phone off. We need to check in. What's this person doing? So it's a red flag. That sort of thing's not happening in the United States yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, they, look the, they, the NSA like, uh, collects mass data on us. And nobody's talking about like how they collect it, people are, but people are talking about legislating after they collect it. But I guess one of the things that I wanted to bring up today too is that I don't know if you knew this or not, Ian, but I co-taught a course in epidemiology, which is you know the study of diseases, way back in 1991. I want Interesting. To say. And so um, one of the things that I don't know if was evident to you or any of your guests or yet, but uh, the you know the Black Death, the plague. Yeah. Many historians believe that it originated in China as well. Oh, interesting. Only Central Asia. Yeah, and it was brought to Italy first in the Middle Ages in 1347, and now now Italy's under quarantine. Huh. So so that rat, the rats that brought the Black Plague and came onto yeah. European ships, are the same kind of rats that you know are in the U.S. and um, and so uh, I think it's kind of interesting that the plague, which you know put. European society in the Middle Ages into all sorts of tumult because nobody knew how to deal with it because they didn't have the medicine. And now us in this 21st century who have all this medical knowledge have no idea how to deal with this virus that originated in China. Right. So I find that kind of ironic. Yeah, that's an interesting parallel you bring up there, JP. Um, and I know you want to get into uh, a, a article you wrote back in 2005, The Age of Resistance, and it posed the 9-11 uh, world. But, uh, JP, w what is going on here with the coronavirus? Uh, if being Florida-based, uh, does this uh, kind of yeah. conjure up uh, memories of the Zika scare for you? Yeah, I know, I know that... Um... That was, I mean, for, I guess in Miami, that was more serious. And I guess, remember, I guess that's how, like, you started out with uh, with how they sprayed for mosquitoes. But for me, I mean, you know, the government can take all sorts of extra measures and things like that. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is that we don't even know how it really started yet. I mean, I was, actually, I was talking to a colleague the other day, and I said, well, do we even know that it wasn't, like, part of the Chinese biological warfare program? Okay, that's kind of a... That's kind of a conspiracy theory, but is it really pinpointed? You know, what's the source? Well, JP. The other thing is, I yeah. think the economic, the economic aspect of it, Ian. I think the economic repercussions for this will be 
much greater than maybe the epidemiological or the biological ones. But. Right. Well said. No, well said, JP. And the, the, the thing I wanted to piggyback on there with you is uh, Zero Hedge. Uh, did we mention that last time that we discussed? Zero Hedge had had basically reported um, on a research uh, angle uh, being done there in Wuhan, and simply all they did was present research they had done that really kind of feeds into what you're talking about, which is uh, biological warfare. Was this somehow... Right. Um, a lapse in security. Uh, was it? Is it a cover-up? Right. Did it somehow get out of the lab? Accidentally. But the thing you hear at JP with Zero Hedge is that they were completely because they posted that and reported that on Twitter. They've been banned from Twitter. Wow. And like, I'm not trying to start a conspiracy here because I don't really like them. But I mean, look, governments have labs that do that you know i mean it's not like they're all top secret but it's not like we don't you know right i mean it's not, it's not so far-fetched if you think about it well it certainly isn't and in my opinion that would be a violation of freedom of press i mean if 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 this uh, zero hedge if that research was legitimately done and he cited all resources or she whoever compiled it uh, cited all research uh, resources legitimately the, the there yeah. that would be a violation of uh, his rights in my opinion yeah i didn't actually see that but that's really interesting you brought that up and glad you did so i can take a look at it but yeah i mean i agree I, look i mean why did we shut him down? I mean, because is it closer to the truth? You know? I don't know. I mean, why would they have to shut them down? Right. No, that's exactly right. I mean, it, I, I, I yep. don't know. I mean, I don't know. Well, censorship seems to be getting a little bit out of control, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not as bad as our country as opposed to, like, Russia, right? Right. Or something like that or other countries, or China, obviously, just talked about. Um, but... JB... I, you know, I mean, epidemiologically, what I think is that, obviously, diseases have peaks and troughs, and then what you have in a disease, uh, as you probably know already, is that it'll peak, and we're, we're talking maybe years out, you know? We're not even... Not only the beginning, and maybe that's the scary part, but, but I think it's it's becoming so hyped. You know, I work for a school, and now people are talking about the school district closing and things like that, wow. and universities closing. I mean, Flo University of Florida already closed, Ian, Harvard did. I've heard Florida State's thinking of closing. I mean, this is going to have huge financial repercussions yeah. alone. I mean, with the travel industry, the airlines, the hotels, it has huge repercussions, and we're not even feeling the effects of that yet. You know? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the I think the San Jose Sharks, uh, the Golden State Warriors, Stanford. Like you're saying, Stanford. Uh, uh, large group gatherings are being banned. Uh, and so these professional teams will be playing uh, games without any audience, uh, physical audience. Right. Yeah, anyway, I mean it's yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, go ahead. 
it, it, and let me just say this, JP. I, I, I simply and, and I like uh, I like my my objective is for my listeners to question their government. There's corruption in all governments. Uh, by by, uh, it seems to be that in the United States we still have uh, uh, the most free, if you will, I guess, uh, government uh, in the world. But that government is becoming ridiculously out of control. With the, and again, nothing against him, but I would hope, like when you and I spoke last, I, I would assume that there is intellectually uh, a person out there much more capable of uh, uh, running this country than the current uh, the current uh, officer, chief officer. Oh my gosh! I don't even want, I don't know if I want to go. <laughs> well, yeah. So where where I think we went with that last time yeah. was you you had, because you're. Question. Because you're an American historian, uh, you had you had drawn on some of the values that FDR had tried to instill. You're right. I mean, FDR. Okay, so this whole thing uh, with going back to him and the New Deal, right? He got us out of the Great Depression, but it was really World War II that got us out of it. Look, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was Harvard educated and an elite, and people. I mean, there's a, been a history book traitor to his class because he was an elite. But he believed in public service. He believed in giving back to the average guy. And the average person believed he spoke to them, right? But he did. He had programs that helped, helped average people. And so I think we want that kind of elite, but we don't necessarily mean an elitist who is not – doesn't really care about the average guy, Ian. I mean, at the same time, FDR had his problems. Like, he doesn't have a very good record with African-Americans. He doesn't have a very good record with Jewish people for turning away people that were fleeing the Holocaust and um, the, the ship that tried to dock in the United States was turned away yeah. right, from Europe. Yeah. And but, but at the same time, I mean, he was the only president to be, have been elected four times. He was hugely popular. He got us through the Depression. He got us through World War II for the most part. And... Um, and that's why I kind of look back to him per se, because in many ways, because he was he is he was from the upper class, just like Theodore Roosevelt was, same family, cousins. Yeah. And and because that the, he really did think about like you know changing the country for the public good and things like that, like you know the the idea of service, right? Right. And I think that's really important, and I. What I worry about is like, okay, Bloomberg really didn't kind of fizzle out here, but I, I was really kind of worried that Bloomberg was going to kind of sweep in. But I don't, I don't think we really need more billionaires, right? Doing things, <laughs> but I just don't, Ian. I mean, I'd rather. I mean, I think you could like go through history again and look at all forty-five of our presidents and look who came from humble backgrounds and are self-made. And others who came from the upper classes, and you know, it, it switches kind of back and forth. I mean, Abraham Lincoln was self-made, George Washington was self-made, Andrew Jackson was self-made. It go on and on. But I mean, we have some pretty good presidents from you know upper classes. You know, John Adams, the Roosevelts. You know, right. So, but it's just, I guess it's your perspective and. 
do they have a sense of history? Do they do they really have a sense of service? Yeah, you 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 would you would certainly equate that the that the current uh, uh, the current president would ha- completely be out of touch with the average American's day to day life, i.e., taking out the trash. Is this a person that you yeah. think can he, can even understand what that what that's like? Well, right. I mean, I mean, don't you think so? I mean, I, I it's just like oh, I don't even want. I don't almost don't want to go there because <laughs> there's so many stories of non empathy that I just it's just you know Mar-a-Lago and stuff. All right, so JP, let's anyway. get it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let's get into uh, the age of resistance in a post-9-11 world. For listeners out there, where is that article? Can they can, can they continue to find it published online? Yeah, so you, they can actually download it from my website on academia.edu, and they go to J.P. Lindstroff, and they just, they just download the article from there. It was originally published in a journal called Peace and Conflict Studies. I mean, I don't even, I don't know if you can get in print anymore, but certainly can download it from my website. And it was a real long introductory essay because I was just kind of questioning how would history remember September 11th, you know? Right. Is that the liminal moment? I mean, historically, how do we look at it? And then it was also kind of questioning political science and then looking at anthropology and why anthropology is a particularly good discipline for understanding conflict and violence and I'm an anthropologist. So that's, that's why that I chose that. And a lot of, I mean, there's not, I guess a lot of political scientists don't tend to read anthropology about conflict and violence, but (laughs) it's pretty normal because you kind of siphon yourself off in your discipline, right? Right. So, so one of the quotes you have here, globalization is not the product of a single action, like switching on a light or starting a car engine. is a historical process that has undoubtedly speeded up enormously in the last 10 years. And this is, again, written in 2005. But it is a permanent, constant transformation. It is not at all clear, therefore, at what stage we can say it has reached its final destination and can be considered complete. Globalization is primarily based on the elimination of technical obstacles rather than economic ones. It is the uh, abolition of distance and time. Thus, globalization, in a sense, means wider access, but not equal access for everyone, even at its theoretically most advanced point. Similarly, natural resources are distributed in an unequal manner. The problem with globalization is its aspiration to guarantee a tendentially egalitarian access to products in a world that is naturally unequal and varied. What are you saying there, JP? That's exactly it. So that was a quote from the late historian Eric Hobsbawm. And the idea is that we live in a very unequal world, but most of us are very, I'm not I'm necessarily cognizant or aware of that. And by that, I think what Hobbesbaum's getting to and what why I quoted it was that we live in this post-colonial world, Ian, where first world countries like the United States, like Europe, like Australia, like Canada, like Japan, dominate the world and dominate, um, you know, extracting the world's resources 
at the expense of the developing world. And, and it, in that sense, it's very post-colonial and even still colonial. So when we talk about globalization, it seems to be equal because we all have Internet access, we all have access to cell phones, but it's certainly not the case if you go to rural India or rural parts of Africa, right? It's certainly not the case if you go to Uganda and people are getting antiviral drugs for AIDS. It's certainly not the case if you go to Haiti and look at all the starving people there and why aren't these people having access, medical access, and, and so on. I mean, you can go on and on. There's been a lot of anthropologists um, who have thought that's the location. So it's not just me, per se, but quite, quite a few other sure. anthropologists as well. So, so the idea is that it's illusory. We live in an illusory world, and, um, and, and, and that's the fact that because of the fact we live in a post-colonial world, that most people are totally unaware of. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so for listeners to help understand, how does 9-11 thread into that, or rather the, the post-reality of 9-11 uh, thread into that? Okay, so, and by the way, one other anthropologist I want to bring up who's talked about how, how medicine is unequally accessed is Paul Farmer, who's, a, who's a, 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 a medical doctor and an anthropologist at Harvard University. Repeat. Repeat and, his name, and, please. And Paul Farmer. Okay, thank you. And and so, um, how does nine eleven? So, I think what I was getting at there, Ian, is that people throughout the world are resisting these the first world powers, right? And it's just like colonial oppression when Great Britain and France controlled all of Africa. I mean, most of Africa, other European countries as well, as well as Belgium and Portugal and Germany at one point. And, you know, and, and how, how, how the first world is still controlling the developing world in many ways and through the World Bank, through the IMF. Um, and, and then, you know, the developing world, people are resisting these kinds of things. So I'm not saying that, you know, nine or a good thing i'm not saying that at all but what i'm saying is that people are resisting in different ways and and that resistance is becoming more evident through social media so for example the arab spring was evident through social media right their use of social media and people are organizing through social media much more through facebook and through what what's up and things like that um it's also led to negative things like populism whether we're talking about populism in the United States or populism in Hungary or even Great Britain or whatever. Uh, what I mean by that is like um, populist movements that are racist and very negative against immigrants, for example, which is going to be a, an issue in this election as well. What I yeah. mean in the presidential election. Right. Yeah. Uh, JP, that's interesting. You've you've written here for uh, the Journal of Peace and uh, Conflict Studies, um, and I know you have. Uh, we haven't. Uh, we I think we had a date with uh, 
with the fellow you recommended to join the program in Portland, but we haven't we we had to reschedule it or something something of that nature. And you right. you've been kind enough, and you've actually uh, introduced an, a, a number of uh, very. Uh, very well researched uh, and academically achieved uh, intellectuals onto the program, and we appreciate we appreciate you for doing that. What what is uh, certainly your training is in anthropology, uh, but uh, classically, but but what is uh, the major what, what we're looking at here is certainly in the United States and globally because that's what's feeding the economic engine. It seems as uh, the natural resources are dwindled and uh, completely manipulated by various uh, groups of very high, uh, small percentages. Um, this this military-industrial complex that Eisenhower uh, alluded to as in, in his in his farewell speech, uh, which is interesting. And, and, and let me just say, uh, JP, that Bill uh, Blunden, who, who joined the program the first hour, uh, he he likes to use something called a malware industrial complex but that's beside the point here this military industrial complex which is uh, again it's a kind of this war machine to uh, to manipulate natural resources i.e oil um, uh, what's the biggest uh, what's the biggest threat that that has to our freedoms in your view as uh, as Americans what, can you repeat the question what's the what's the threat to our freedoms for what Ian yeah, the the, the, the military-industrial complex, that is oh, okay. uh, gotcha, gotcha. that is basically, uh, uh, let's say, Bush and yeah. 9-11 without congressional right. approval taking troops into Iraq. Okay, so one of the things that often is not discussed is the Patriot Act, which allowed the government to have much more, much more um, power in terms of surveillance of U.S. population, things like that. And that was put in place because, you know, as a so-called cover for discovering new terrorists and things like that. But I think I think what one of, one of the things I want to step back a little bit here, Ian, is, and talk about is uh, a couple of people who um, were, have been really influential scholars in and in kind of critiquing. Um, Critiquing, uh, you know, like generalist approaches to whether it's the Middle East or whether it is um, things like the military-industrial complex, because I think that when we get into um, when we get into an understanding of history and and how these things have developed and how we've allowed power structures to develop or how we have allowed the Patriot Act to continue, so so to speak, or get past. I mean, one of the people has been uh, Edward Said, um, the late Edward Said, who was a Palestinian American who used to be at Columbia University. And um, he wrote a, a very famous uh, book called Orientalism, which is the critique of how the West looks at the East, right? How it imagines and portrays the East how the West exoticizes non-Western peoples, per se. And in the continuance of that idea, you have people like Mahmoud Mamdani, who wrote a book called Good Muslim, Bad Muslim. And, um, and, and really, and at least from my point of view, we're really influential in how we, under, 
how we understand, like, for example, how al-Qaeda developed. And I don't know if you know this or not, but al-Qaeda began as the Mujahideen uh, fighting against the Soviets in Afghanistan. It's interesting, like, how if we look at these different threads, you know, like, we can tie them in to, um, you know, these other terrorist acts that, that in some cases have origins in our own government, Ian. And I guess that's one, one of the points I was getting at. And the other point is, like, not only how the industrial military complex yeah. controls society, but also how just, just industry controls society. And, and that's very evident in mainstream media, which Noam Chomsky, among others, has brought up what's called manufactured consent, how, how, you know, how the narrative is constructed to fit a certain narrative without you know, kind of justification. not allowed to be intellectual, not allowed to be critical so much. You don't really have Chomsky's or Cornell West's on CNN, right? <laughs> right. You don't have people critical of the system. You don't have systemic theorists, right? People who are critical of the system. You just don't have them. They don't invite them on there. Right. Um, so that was another point. I mean, there's so many large points that I guess I made in this article. It's very... Very long, obviously. <laughs> if, you, if any readers get a chance to download it, um, but the reason why I wrote this kind of long expose was to kind of point out, like, where are we going? Not only historically, but how do we how do we understand nationalism? How do we understand genocide today? How do we understand violence today? Are we getting to root causes? Are we getting to the root causes of inequality? If we just look at one thing like medical medical equity, right? Right. We just talked about the coronavirus. If it gets to Africa and spreads through Africa, will Africa ever have the same resources that the first world has to combat it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, right. with AIDS it doesn't. With, with certainly with the AIDS virus it doesn't, right? Yeah. It just doesn't. And 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 so, who's controlling the narrative? How is it controlled? Who are controlling things like you know? medicine. I mean, that's something that Paul Farmer would bring up, per se. Yeah, Gerald, Gerald Posner, if you're not familiar with him, I'm not sure if you are. He's a former Wall Street attorney. Uh, he's, uh, uh, I believe he's got uh, his law, law degree, the JD from uh, Cal Berkeley. Uh, anyway, he's uh, based, uh, part-time anyway, in Miami. He's written, I believe, three New York Times bestsellers, and he'll be joining us next month to discuss his most recent book. Uh, it's an 800-page uh, heavy critique. He really slaughters the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and so I'm, I'm going through it right now. Uh, that'll be coming up in April, uh, Gerald Posner. Um, even, even JP, even, even Blunden last hour brought up Chomsky, and you make a great point. Look, mass media, uh, that is mainstream media, is completely manipulated to make them dollars. That's either whether you're uh, Ted Turner or you're uh, Rupert Murdoch or CBS, NBC, whatever it may be. They're completely, uh, they're completely uh, they're concerned about making profit, and and they're Welch, the alternative view, which really is uh, very unfortunate uh, for, again, to bring up that one of those cornerstones of, of uh, American freedom that, that, 
that, that we seem to be enjoying, uh, which is uh, freedom, uh, freedom of press. Um, but, uh, you know, e even that it is, uh, yeah, fair and balanced. It's not, no, it's not, it's not fair and balanced at all. It's completely, it's completely biased. Um, and so go ahead, JP, you some thoughts. No, no, I mean, I just think that most Americans, even many intelligent Americans, including members of my own family, are just not aware, Ian, how manipulated they are, right? No, I would and agree. If yeah. You a, if you have a critical mind and if you're an academic like myself, you realize it. and Or you come to realize it after just examining it and thinking about it. And the other thing that I bring up in the book is like, you know, one is, one is, I don't know if you're familiar with body theory, but like how institutions act upon bodies and like how people are manipulated in that sense, you know, um, mediated and um, how, you know, we talk about the body politic, for example, but in other words, like, I mean, if we, if we are to really understand things like nationalism, right, and even American nationalism, we really have to look at the local and local stories and local narratives to get a sense of it. If we just talk in generalities, you're not going to get maybe a true sense of it. In some, in some ways you can, but I always move, try to move to um, human action, human thoughts, um, and the human context to get at an understanding of what's happening. Because, like, if you just take the like the Syria conflict, Syrian conflict, right? You don't get a sense of on the ground what's happening unless you watch a documentary about it, right? On Frontline or somewhere like that. Ian, we don't have a sense of that on CNN or MSNBC or Fox News about what's really happening on the ground. Like all these places in all all these places in Syria that are that are totally ghost cities now because of the conflict. You don't have a sense of this non-life in these places of, of, of being on the ground because, you know, we don't, we don't get that sense unless somebody has a documentary that portrays it, but you get very small snippets of news. And now what I worry is that we get very small snippets of even international news. We don't get as much anymore. Yeah. I mean, All it's Americans yeah. international news. I don't even know. Yeah. The, the most international news I think we've gotten outside of the, uh, the, the Trump soap opera uh, or political soap opera, not putting, uh, not putting, putting all on Trump. Um, the most I think we've gotten is this, uh, uh, this coronavirus thing. Um, right, right, exactly. What's been alarming to me? Go ahead. Yeah, good. What's been alarming to me, JP, uh, and was really uh, came to surface uh, from a, a recent guest that joined me, I think, in, in, in January. Servando Gonzalez, he's a Cuban-born American historian. I'm not sure if I've mentioned uh, his name to you or not. But Servando, uh, Servando's done uh, a, a, a couple decades of research on, on, on this, um, and he, he ties so much of this media manipulation into the CFR, the Council on Foreign Relations, which is headquartered, uh, I think, on the east side of uh, Central Park there, 
um, in New York. It's a it's a political it's well it's a it's a, it's a think tank. It's an intellectual think tank. Um, but so much of the uh, the foreign policies which are uh, basically set there feed into um, uh, 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 contrasting media outlets um, and also, of course, uh, uh, in, into Wall Street. Um, but So that's, that's just an interesting thing that I, I like listeners uh, to look into. Um, what's also interesting uh, on top of that is that uh, the CFR... Um, I think uh, developed in the 1920s. I, I'm not sure if that's correct or not, but but my understanding is that basically it was started by uh, a Rockefeller-run organization. Um, so the question really is uh, how much of it uh, of that is manipulating uh, Amer- the American narrative and how that threads into supposedly it's foreign policy but then again uh, what is that like you had mentioned what is the pro- prohibition of information that we're receiving outside of America so wh- how much of the real narrative internationally is accurate well we do- I mean unless you unless you follow the BBC news or other newspapers outside the country, because let's face it, unless yeah. you're paying for the New York Times or the Washington Post, and you know, unless you get those for free, I mean, you have to follow news outside the U.S. to get any international news. I mean, we don't we don't hear about the civil unrest in Papua New Guinea, for example, Ian, or what's going on in Democratic Republic of Congo, or or Uganda, or, I mean, just to go all around the world and go, oh, how come we don't know about that? Or even what we talked about before in an earlier show about the concentration camps in Western China. Right, right. I mean, yeah, disgusting. not discussed as much as they should be, right? Right, they exactly. They discussed all the time. And, like, the narrative, the dominant narrative now is the presidential cycle, which is, okay, fair enough, but come on, man. There's life outside the U.S. Yeah, no, that's it's it's complete brainwashing. It's manipulation. It's it keeping, in my opinion, JP. It's keeping the average American uh, uh, pigeonholed into their nine to five, uh, just being uh, a, 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 a obedient cog of the wheel that works, uh, that rules them, and keeping them silent, uh, which uh, really seems to be. Uh, this whole emergence of the alternative uh, discussion or the uh, podcast or small independent uh, program, which seems to be in the, in, in the recent years uh, really starting to kind of take off because it seems like it's that. It's that discussion that you and I are having that's no way ever going to make any 10-minute uh, slot even on a CNN broadcast. It's right. this type of discussion that is really uh, seems to be uh, the, uh, the, the, the strength to at least try to uh, clean up some of the corruption. I mean, look, Michel Foucault states it pretty well, power is knowledge, Ian. Power is knowledge, okay? I mean, obviously there's other types of power, but it's very Orwellian. What I mean by that, George Orwell, 1984, you know, what's getting excluded is almost more important than what's included. And, and I think that you can look at what's, you know, what I would call political agency and how that is 
um, manipulated through culture and society, right? The political agency of the media construct kind of manufactured consent um, and all the all the big networks, Fox and MSNBC, it doesn't matter if it's right or left or so-called right or left, CNN, whatever. I mean, like you said before, there's a there's a financial bottom line, and um, and you know they don't they don't go into systems critique that much, right? They don't get into okay. I mean, what's really happening here because it ups, would upset the system. <laughs> yeah, right. And obviously what the coronavirus is showing, Ian, is that the system is very fragile, if you look at it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look at Wall Street. I mean, huge ups and downs, right? Yeah, People yeah. People panicking and like, I don't know, this is funny, but I mean, run on toilet paper and stuff. No, I know, I know. Look, I, 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 we've got to wind. We've got to wind down here. Uh, uh, JP is as uh, this will be the first, the first ever triple header uh, discussion. of truth will be uh, hosting uh, Harvard educated. I think he got his medical degree from Harvard. He's ninety six, JP, and uh, wow. he he's uh, based in Toronto. Uh, w. Gifford Jones. Uh, he's real big. On uh, on a natural, healthy lifestyle, and he'll be discussing a little bit about his opinion. I think on how to combat the coronavirus. So, so this will be the first for discussion of truth. We'll be having a double header, or excuse me, triple header. So we got it. We got we've 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 got to wind down. But uh, but no, you're you're absolutely right, uh, JP. This is uh, this is. I agree with you. This is going to have a. A uh, much harsher economical shift in uh, right. in, in global uh, uh, mechanics than uh, than health mechanics. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I guess one of the things that you know to go back to the article that um, you mentioned in my article that I wrote in 2005 is that there's a lot of invisible histories in the world, Ian, that are not only oppressed, well said, but suppressed suppressed by the media. And people are oppressed and they don't have voices. And, you know, what's sad to me is that if you look at the great migration crisis in the world, whether it's talking about Europe or even Central Americans um, wanting to come to the United States, if we just thought about giving aid to those countries yeah. and put it in some kind of post-colonial context, because let's face it, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Guatemala are a mess because of U.S. interventionism and proxy wars, if we put more development aid in those countries, maybe they wouldn't want to come here. Absolutely. Africa Absolutely. Too. Africa, too. Africa, too. I mean, it's, I mean, you just have to scratch the surface and say, okay, why are they wanting to come here? Civil wars in Syria. Okay, well, they're escaping war. I mean, you can't live in a bombed out right. ghost city, right? Yeah. Well says some good points. And then good. some equal unequal things about medicine too. What who has access to medicine, right? It's one of the things that the Harvard medical anthropologists brought out, like unequal access to medicine throughout the world. It's still a major problem, Ian. Yeah, it's disgusting. Well, after we get the same care for coronavirus. I don't know. JP, we could go on for another hour. As always, thank you for joining Discussing the Truth, ladies and gentlemen. JP Lindstruth. JP, some final thoughts, final words, and again, please uh, let listeners know where they, where they can find you online. 
And again, Ian, I, I really appreciate always coming back and being on your show. Um, again, people can go to my academic website on acad academia.edu and look up J.P. Lindstroth, or they can find some of my opinion pieces at Counterpunch. Um, and I guess some final thoughts are is that let's just be aware about the invisible histories, the people that don't have voices, that live in states of oppression, that don't have equal access to whether it's healthcare or um, power access to the same kind of economic benefits that we have in the first world and really think about why, for example, people want to migrate from Africa to Europe or from Central America to the United States and really think about what power structures are in place to keep them from coming. And why have they wanted to come in the first place? Because of civil wars that we've been involved in or because of lack of development and things like that, that the first world really owes to these places around the world in Asia inclusive because of our colonial past, Ian. Well said, ladies and gentlemen, J.P. Lindstroth. J.P., until next time, thank you again. Thank you, Ian. I really appreciate it. Great to be on your show. Have a great week. Ladies and gentlemen, J.P. Lindstroth. Uh, you can find his work at Counterpunch, uh, academia.com. Did I get that? Was it .com? .edu? I, I have to go back and rewind. Uh, pardon me if I've got that wrong. Uh, incredibly intelligent, uh, J.P., and as always, he contributes some really outstanding viewpoints here. Look, you know, if you live in, you live in a, a border a state in the U.S., and you're like, hey, nobody speaks English in here, and you don't want to speak Spanish or learn Spanish. I frankly like it, uh, but the the underlying issue here is uh, people that are in impoverished and less fortunate economically, politically, structurally, whichever it may be, uh, society or country uh, flock to the United States because it has a superior system for the moment, at least on the face of things. Okay. Uh, that's why we dig deep on this on this program. So if you invest in them, uh, then 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 of course uh, that builds their system, and uh, it becomes more of a mirror to what is here. And and so many times that is used as an excuse, right? Oh, we're going to Iraq. We're not going in for oil. We're going in because we're taking out a tyrannic dictator who mistreats his people. Well. Is that the truth? I don't know. Is is it simply a fake democracy or is simply democracy a facade or an excuse to go in and completely manipulate and take that country's uh, material possessions and natural resources? Folks, this has been another discussion to truth. I'm your host, Ian Hamilton Trottier. As always, Wednesdays, 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard. I'm here. Uh, this is a triple header. So we're going into the 7 o'clock hour here, p.m. Eastern Standard, on Discuss Your Truth. I'll be back with W. Gifford Jones and his daughter, Diana. Until then, folks, be awesome.